This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. This episode is brought to you by Dove. You use all the right skincare products for your face, but your body has been missing out. With new Dove Serum Body Wash, you can give your body the vitamin C glow it's been wanting, the hydration boost it's been craving, and the active skincare ingredients it deserves. It's time for your body care era. New Dove Serum Body Wash. Get Dove or get FOMO. Welcome to The Health Podcast, a new season from BBC Good Food. I'm Tracy Ray qualified nutritionist and health editor here at BBC Good Food. In this series, I'll be your host as we explore the world of health and wellness through a series of interviews with renowned and innovative experts across the globe, where I'll be seeking out some of the best practical tips and advice they have to offer. Remember that all content provided here is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions or concerns related to your personal health, you should first seek the advice of your local healthcare practitioner. You're listening to part one of our two-part episode with Dr. Drew Ramsey. This week, I'm joined down the line by US-based psychiatrist, author, farmer, and founder of the Brain Food Clinic in New York City, Dr. Drew Ramsey, to discuss the relationship between our mental health and our fork. In his latest book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, Dr. Ramsey guides us through how and why food is central to our mental well-being and offers expert advice for how you too can support and optimize your brain health by first addressing the foods on your plate. Welcome to the podcast, Drew. Hi, Tracy, and hello, everyone. It's such a pleasure and a treat to be here. I'm so excited to help everybody feed their mental health and take care of their brains. Me too. So I'm going to dive right in as there's so much that I want to ask you. Um, You're often referred to as a nutritional psychiatrist. And in so many ways, you're really helping to pioneer this field of practice. Can you tell us what nutritional psychiatry is and how it might differ from the approach of a traditional psychiatrist? For sure. Nutritional psychiatry is an emerging field in mental health. 
And the way that I've defined nutritional psychiatry is it's the use of food in the optimization of brain health and in the use uh, of food to prevent and treat mental health symptoms. And, and so really two parts of that. First is for all of us who have human brains, everyone, um, we're all at risk of you know what we think of as mental health disorders, but really of um, a, a variety of ways that our brains interact with our environments. And there's so many things that we can do to to control that environment. And food, mm -hmm. for sure, is is the number one thing that, in in a lot of ways, many of us have been getting very wrong. And um, and there's really a wonderful opportunity to to get it right. Um, but the second part of that is is very exciting, based in the data. So I'm a clinical psychiatrist. I'm a physician. Mm -hmm. And I um, have been in clinical practice seeing really exclusively mental health patients and, and, and families struggling with mental health concerns for 20 years now. And um, the use of food in support of those treatments is, is uh, of great interest because when, when, for example, you have a family that has depression in it or anxiety, maybe your family, maybe my family, right? That, that you want to do something to decrease your risk. You, you think about the environmental influences on mental health and, and nutrition you know, isn't the only one, but it's certainly one that we have um, over. And so, mm. um, and then the treatment of mental illness, there are now five randomized clinical trials looking at how we can use diet and dietary counseling, yeah, um, augmenting mental health treatments to get better outcomes. So that's nutritional psychiatry in a nutshell. I could be making an assumption here, but I I have a lot of of friends in that work in medicine, and something that often comes through is that um, you know young doctors don't really get a lot of training in nutrition, um, and so I guess it's really interesting to me. And I wondered for you, what was it that drew you? from traditional psychiatry into the practice of integrating nutrition? Well, I hope this will become traditional psychiatry. I mean, if we're going to be an evidence-based field, I would just want to argue that anyone who's talking to anyone about their mental health and their feelings, food can be a part of that conversation and based on the evidence should be a part of that conversation. I think doctors don't, let's say allopathic trained physicians, MDs and DOs, don't get a lot of nutrition training. A little of that is changing in the United States. Mm. There are now, I think by last count, over 30 medical schools that actually had um, were teaching culinary medicine in some way and incorporating food. The short answer is not a lot of nutrition. We get biochemistry. And in psychiatry, mm. after medical school, we get a lot of training about behavior change and about helping people form their identity and helping people really seek a joyful and very rich connected existence. And to me, those two things, like my love of like nerdy research and brain chemistry and, and I don't know, how omega-3 fats are, are processed and, and consumed and where they come from, uh, along with just being a clinician that I, I'm you know, really, uh, a lot of ways, I just look like a normal psychiatrist. I see patients, I do psychotherapy, I prescribe medications, I say, hmm, and I, you know, I'm really curious about your development and your parents, both, both your mother and your father. Everyone's always like, you know, making the mom jokes. And it's like, you know, dad, dad influences <laughs> things too. So. So I guess then in terms of your own journey with nutritional psychiatry and kind of nutritional nutrition in general, have you always been someone that's interested in nutrition? Have you always um, kind of eaten a balanced diet and kind of, you know, things like that? Or is this something that um, 
you you grew into in your practice? For me, I, th- I think the um, it, it's really a, a merger of what has always been going on in my personal life, really uh, bringing uh, to fruition a professional journey that started 15, 20 years ago as I was trying to merge these two things. So in my personal mm-hmm. life, back then in medicine, I was a weirdo. I was a vegetarian. I was eating low fat. I was like riding my bike to work. Um, I was really excited about farm fresh food. I grew up on a farm. So, you know, I'd like mm-hmm. bring people fresh tomatoes from the farm. And I, I still do that occasionally. And so the data about the diet that I was eating, a low fat vegetarian mm-hmm. diet, um, began to not agree with one, how I was feeling. Mm. And and I, I think I want to hear every, everyone to hear, first of all, as we're going to talk a little bit about diets and food, I think my role as a nutritional psychiatrist is just like my role as a psychiatrist. That's to help you be you. Mm. And so people can really change their brain health and improve their mood eating a Mediterranean diet. I've seen people take on a ketone diet, a keto diet and transform their life. I've seen people uh, go plant forward and really change their health. There are certainly people in the vegan community who describe lots more energy and, and feeling good. So the most important thing for you, whoever you are listening, is if you're not feeling well, you know, not, not to be filled of shame and blame, but to really hear opportunity, opportunity to really merge your personal values, who you are as an eater. And I would say to discover something about that. That's what's happened for me with this like new science of brain health and mental health and nutrition, the really deep science of how in adult life, our brains continue to grow, how the lifestyle that we're really living um, in the UK and the US uh, um, really promotes a tremendous amount of disease, Mm. a tremendous amount of inflammation. We often think, and I think a lot of the public health messaging around that has been towards heart disease and diabetes. We really must include mental health concerns in that. The the number one concern about extra inflammation is that it tanks your mood. It leads to extra anxiety. It is not great for your cognitive circuitry. Um, And I I hope that's the motivation also people hear. I mean, what happened for me is I started really shifting how I ate, started feeling a lot better. I started thinking about how to incorporate that this conversation into clinical practice, which because I'm a psychiatrist, I've seen people a lot and it just sort of struck me, wow, I, I know ev- like everything. I'm a psychiatrist. Like mm-hmm. you're supposed to know everything about people. I'd never asked patients what they eat. And then you hear about it. And I mean, first, it's just so lovely. Um, the eating behavior of people is just so interesting to hear yeah. about the things that that we feel excited about, the things we feel I don't know, um, ashamed about or guilt about the way that people conceptualize food and, and how they cook it for themselves when they're alone. You know, it's kind of like, like the, what, what do you do when no one's watching? I kind of want, <laughs> like to hear like, well, what do, you, what do you cook when no one's watching? Like, what do you really make for yourself? And it's such a telling moment for us all. We really just take a step back and think, who are we as eaters? What values are we ascribing to? There's a chapter in the book, Eat or Heal Thyself, because I meet so many people and they come to me either with like a big bag of supplements or, you know, a, a number of experts who they've read and listened to and believe in, and they've they've kind of lost track of their own self. Yeah. You know, it's like not whether I love kale, uh, it, it's really about you, your relationship with kale, how you could maybe explore that and accentuate it and make a decision for yourself. That That's... That's, I think, what gets missed right now in the frenzy of food advice and health advice is really it's about 
It's about you and your health and your enjoyment. Absolutely. And I think, you know, there's something in the way you're presenting the information there in terms of, you know, talking about the um, the connection between the gut and the brain and and what we eat and and whatnot. And what I'm hearing is it really kind of opens things up in the sense that sometimes it feels like if you if you have an ailment so so for example if you're experiencing um diabetes or if you're experiencing low mood or if you're experiencing anxiety that you need to try and find the the solution to that thing but what i hear you saying instead is that you know even if you're even if you are feeling overwhelmed and you're still kind of on on that journey of of working with your clinician or or whatnot, that there's still a lot of merit in, you know, even dipping your toes in some of the things like exercise or eating, changing your eating habits and things like that. Even if you don't get it perfect, there's still merit and, and help in doing some of those things. There is merit in that, Tracy, and I'd I'd even say it a little more strongly. I would say that you add the most powerful medicine to your arsenal. Not that, uh, and I'm I'm a physician, I'm not really looking uh, to judge anyone whether medications or or, or are or aren't part of of your health journey. It's really your health journey. But when we think about movement and uh, exercise and nutrition in the data, Mm. it's just incredibly powerful. So, Mm worldwide if if everyone started to exercise an hour and a half every week every adult in the world we'd reduce the depression uh, load on the planet the burden of depression by 10 percent wow and so besides all the economic savings of that which is often how this data focuses just think about all the human suffering that gets prevented as depression is just a really awful and pernicious disease uh there there's there's data looking at, at um, some of the antidepressants being equal to exercise. Mm. And what I like is exercise combines perfectly well with antidepressants, as does food. And unlike mm. adding on maybe another medication, one of the reasons I'm such a big proponent of what we in our clinic, we call mental fitness, mm. that, that treatment can't just be talk therapy and medications. Like that, That's not what I do as a psychiatrist. And earlier you said, you know, I'm a traditional psychiatrist. I even think all traditional psychiatrists get enthusiastic and push people to take care of some of the pillars of their mental health, to sleep better, to move their bodies, to deepen their human connections. And and, and I think what we're going to add in increasingly is to eat a really um, nutrient-dense traditional diet. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think, I mean, there's something very powerful in that one and a half hours of exercise a week. It it seems very attainable, right? Or just think about this crazy data. How about sending college freshmen off to school with a little box? And in the box, we're going to put some of our favorite brain foods. Actually, this was a research study uh, mm-hmm. done by Heather Francis in Australia. They get in the box for college freshmen who are depressed and eating, you know, what college freshmen eat, garbage. They put uh, gave them a box of olive oil, nut butter, some nuts, you know, almonds, cashews, the spices, turmeric, and cinnamon. So mm. the dorms smell like exotic Christmas is what I was thinking they were going for. <laughs> and they also gave the freshmen um, a 13-minute video. 
about healthy eating, eating more Mediterranean style diet, eating for their mental health, and then a couple of follow up phone calls, just encouraging them. Mm. Just five minute phone calls. What they found is over six months, these college freshmen had significant decrease, like 30% decrease in their stress, depression, mm. and anxiety levels. And so there, there, there is a way to take um, this data and really directly translate it. And what we're seeing now is it beginning to be tested that there's, there's so much that we can do to influence our mental health and to nourish ourselves and take care of us. And, and I, I do hope people hear my optimistic tone that it doesn't need to be burdensome. I don't count calories. I don't count how many milligrams of omega-3 fats I eat. I'm excited that the data says one to two grams of omega-3 fats uh, really seems to potentially impact and improve brain health outcomes. Mm. But mostly to me, and, and what I want you to hear is that drives me towards the food category of seafood. And then thinking about my relationship to seafood and what my goals are. And so my goals, for example, right now, so I've been eating seafood um, for, uh, I don't know, since this data came out, I'm going to say 17 years ago, I really started trying to eat seafood. Okay. And it started out with simple, easy white fish, moved into salmon, um, moved into sushi, and then moved into what, what I think is really the pinnacle of the seafood experience, which is a uh, fish taco. I really don't <laughs> think you can get better than that. You might I think agree we'd with have Tracy. many. We'd have many on the team that fully agree with you there. I mean, good fish taco. <laughs> it's really it's a it's hard to be. Shrimp taco could probably be up there. Those are. And ceviche, something that I'd never eaten as a child and, and loved to make and, and my kids like, which again, a seafood meal that children are enthusiastic about. I I really don't want to be annoying about that. I don't want to be like your dad, the nutritional psychiatrist, who's always like feeding us gravlocks and, you know, like pate. <laughs> but I, I, I do try and, and look uh, for a lot of a lot more seafood in my in my kids' diet than at least I got as a kid. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF protect skin against damaging UV rays and continuously deliver three essential ceramides to help restore skin's protective barrier so it can lock in moisture. Non-greasy, fragrance-free, and won't clog pores? With CeraVe, skin feels hydrated and looks healthy all day. CeraVe Facial Moisturizers with SPF from the number one dermatologist recommended facial moisturizer brand. Yeah, absolutely. And how was your how how was it transitioning from a vegetarian diet to integrating fish and seafood? Well, for me, it it started with really having to think about why I was not eating meat, what that was about for me. I was really kind of grossed out by meat. It happened rather suddenly, okay. sort of my sophomore year of college. I just didn't really like the idea of it in any way. Um and, was, uh, and then that began to shift. 
actually it, it happened. I was uh, visiting family friends in Paraguay and I was on their cattle ranch. And we'd been out all day with the herd and then they cooked up some like traditional slow cooked beef. And I just couldn't stop salivating. And it felt, and it felt both like the, the, I couldn't think of any, it felt like the right thing to do as a guest, mm. but, but they were friends. I was, you know, I could tell them no, but it also felt like what my body wanted. And, and then um, thirdly, I couldn't think of any of the reasons that might concern me ranging from environmental concerns to um, nutritional concerns. So I'd learned more about grass fed beef and the nutritional aspects of that. Mm. Um, and, and so I ate it. It was, it was great. I felt good. It wasn't like, you know, the next day I felt amazing. It's just, I began to think a little bit more about incorporating some things like grass fed beef. And then the data about the omega threes came out and, and, uh, and I started consciously adding in more fish. Then I didn't actually add chicken in until a few years ago. I probably went maybe 20 years without eating any chicken. I just, I, I, I raise chickens and, and we have chickens on our farm and I eat chicken now. It's fine. I don't have any issue with, but I just really liked the relationship between the farmer, the chicken and the egg. For people who are relatively new to the concept of any sort of association between food and and mental well-being, um, I wondered if you could um, talk a little bit about, you know, how is it that something like our diet um, can affect things like depression and anxiety, which seem like, you know, two seemingly completely different things. And I know you've touched on it a little bit, but um, I'd love you ju- just to just to discuss that a little bit in terms of um, how how is it that those two things relate? Well, I think everyone listening who's an eater has some experience of this. It's like these two ideas that maybe we just haven't put together. Mm. We haven't really thought about where sometimes our feelings uh, come from. That certainly there's the psychology of them and the complex psychology of them. I'm a psychiatrist. I, I, I love talking and exploring uh, those issues with people. But there's also just the pure biology of it. There are certain nutrients that make up the chemicals in our brain. For example, a lot of people have heard of serotonin. Mm. The amino acid tryptophan is um, say reasonably rare in nature. I mean, we find it in a lot of different foods, but not in highly concentrated sources. Um, and you have to have tryptophan and iron um, and a few other things to make uh, serotonin. Yeah. So our, our, our brain is really made from these nutrients in food is the first step. And, and you can just, uh, another way I like to think about it is imagine, imagine that you got the gift of this like amazing machine. It could do all the, it could actually create anything. It could learn any language. It could learn to play any instrument. It's sort of phenomenal. It could create human love and, and human consciousness. And you take such good care of it. You wonder like, well, how do I take care of this thing? Mm. because it's so powerful. Um, it, well, you know, you, you have that. I mean, that, that in some ways really describes the human brain, this very powerful, powerful force. And we don't spend a lot of time thinking about how to feed it. And so your, your, your question is, how does our, our food relate to our mental health? So well, by mental health, as a psychiatrist, I mean brain health. Mm. And uh, that food is foundational to that. If you're not getting enough B12 or iron or zinc or magnesium, you will get clinical depression and anxiety. I mean, that's just basic neurobiology. Um, anybody who's had an iron deficiency anemia knows that. You feel 
low energy, sluggish, low self-esteem, negative. And as soon as the iron's back on board, they, they feel better. Now, certainly everyone with depression and anxiety isn't struggling with a nutritional deficiency. I don't mm. in any way want to suggest that. Um, I've, I've been in clinical practice, and so I've, I've been very humbled by that. And I think people who have, you know, there's not a silver bullet solution here. But the idea is that by um, influencing the nutrition that people eat, we can uh, really influence a few factors. We can influence neuroplasticity and neurogenesis. So this is the process by which the brain grows new brain cells and connects. So brain cells reach out and make connections. Mm -hmm. And we know that certain foods and food categories tend to promote this via this really wonderful brain molecule everyone should hear about called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's like this wonderful molecule that helps make your brain grow, it protects brain cells. And a number of foods like um, uh, the, the long-chain omega-3 fats and or um, a number of phytonutrients like the flavanols that you um, find in things like dark chocolate, they, they all look like they help promote BDNF expression. And then also we're eating foods that fight inflammation. So imagine your brain's kind of sitting in, like take your brain and put it in a schoolroom. And you're telling your brain, I want you to take this test brain, good luck. And then you turn on the fire alarm, right? And it's like the lights are flashing and you're there, bop, bop, bop. And, and your brain's like, all right, I'm up for the challenge. You want me to like take the test during the fire drill? Okay. And then the sprinklers go off, right? And the branch is like, ah. and, and you're not, your brain's not going to do as well. So those alarms in some ways are an analogy to inflammation in our body. It's really essential that we have fire alarms and sprinklers, like they're very important. But if they're going off mm -hmm. at the wrong times, it prevents us from doing, you know, what we need to do, take a test. Well, it's hard to concentrate when there's an alarm constantly going off, right? Exactly. Well, that's exactly. <laughs> I mean, one of the symptoms that in each beach depression and anxiety, I got to interview several really renowned experts. And one of them, Roger McIntyre, is an expert around inflammation. And, and I asked him around this, and he said exactly that. What you said that when the alarms of inflammation are going off, that it disrupts our cognitive circuits, the neurocircuitry in our brain responsible for things mm. like concentration and focus and attention. And, and, and in some ways, uh, at the heart of how food is related to our mental health, it, it's a lever that we can pull. It's not the only lever, but it's one of those levers really under our power that we can pull to regulate inflammation appropriately and, and to promote mm. more uh, brain growth via really having a brain that I think about all of my work is really helping people put their brain into brain grow mode that you're in a state of kind yeah. of growth and a mindset of growth and eating foods that really help support that growth. Absolutely. And I guess, you know, just supporting people's brains and functioning optimally or functioning how they should be. Um, because as you mentioned, you know, the, the brain requires certain nutrients to function properly. And equally on a basic level, the brain requires a certain amount of calories in order to, to even function well. So these are really important parts of the whole picture is, is what I hear you saying. And just, just back on what you were, you were saying, you, you brought up the idea of inflammation, which I think is such a, a, a big topic and an important topic. But I wondered if, you know, again, you could just break down the relationship between both inflammation and also gut health as it pertains to our mental well-being, because they're they're both terms that we hear floating around a lot in, in this kind of sphere of food and mental well-being. And I'd love if you could just kind of break down what is that relationship? 
Yes, I, I think for a lot of folks, some of these terms get thrown around. It's like every health and wellness and food podcast, you hear like microbiome, inflammation, neurogenesis, and and it's it's uh and so you know, I hope the analogy of of the alarm going off um, yeah. helps people think about inflammation. Again, it's the alarm systems in your body. Without your inflammatory system, you wouldn't you wouldn't be alive. I mean, it's really what mm. protects us. And so we should have deep respect for our inflammatory system. And what I think about in terms of like my fork and my exercise and my sleep is I'm really trying to help my body do what it does, which is mm. fight inflammation in a well-regulated way that promotes my overall health. And so the microbiome, these are all of the organisms that live in our gut, mainly in our colon, but it, it, it does take a step. It's sort of like the gross first step. You just have to really think that you, as you've conceived of yourself prior to this podcast, is not accurate. And your sense of your identity has been quite misperceived. Absolutely. You, Tracy, as an organism, are 27,000 lovely human genes. Um, but you are also millions and millions of genes of the bacteria, the viruses, the, the parasites, mm -hmm. all of the bugs and organisms that live in your gut. And some of these, I, in my books, I called them the good bugs. Because for me as a physician, mm. you know, it's like one of the exciting things when you're a doctor. It's like antibiotics. It's like, yeah, you've got an infection. <laughs> like, just killed those bacteria inside of you. Saved, yeah, it was like amazing. We loved antibiotics. And so now it's weird as a doctor to be telling people, you know, there's bacteria all over you. There's bacteria in your gut that are healthy for you. You should eat bacteria. Because that's really what our recommendations end up being. So the idea is that you should think about your colon as, as a, it's kind of like you're a landlord. Or maybe a better okay. way, often I say it's like you're a zookeeper. And, mm. you know, if you own a zoo, you need, you know, you need to bring in people all the time to see a diverse set of attractions. You need winter animals, mm. you need uh, butterflies, you need, you know, you need the whole night. You got lions. And if all you did was just feed steak to your zoo... It would become like, you know, Tracy's spectacular world of carnivores. And I guess we already, we uh, saw that tiger show on Netflix. Because everyone knows what happens <laughs> when you only feed your zoo meat. That didn't go, didn't look good for anybody. But Yeah, the, it's not a good situation. The point being, you want to feed those bugs a diverse set of what they eat. And they eat fiber. And so mm. by eating a variety of plants, that's why the plant forward movement really is, is appropriate. I wouldn't say you exclusively mm. want to eat plants. Uh, for, for optimal mental health, although some people certainly go that way. But you want to um, think about a diversity of bacteria in your gut. And, and these fiber, it could be oatmeal, peppers, um, uh, leeks, uh, onions. There's lots of prebiotic foods that can tend to cultivate a more diverse microbiome. And we know now that the types of bacteria in your gut. So Tracy's question, how does this regulate inflammation? Well, our body is constantly sensing this. And so one of the ways mm. that the uh, gut health regulates inflammation is that if we don't take good care of the gut and have this nice mucosal layer, our food and digestive material it just it is kind of in very close proximity to, to us in a way that it usually isn't when mm. we're healthy. A second way is, is that these bacteria in the gut, they, they produce a variety of chemical signals. And, and they're called exocrine factors. They also, you'll see this a lot in the press, they also make the same neurotransmitters we make in our brain, serotonin and GABA. 
it's not like they make it and then it goes to your brain just for people who are reading this it's that you have this long nerve kind of dangles down your brain kind of like goes down the side of your throat past your heart through your diaphragm and just kind of like hanging out there with its its roots really if you think about the vagus nerve the mm. roots are in the gut and it's just sensing and there and there's a there's like an informational superhighway between your gut and your brain and so again when you eat foods and um uh let's say you eat something bad you know the first thing you know when you eat get food poisoning i mean i, I know i know right away because it, it's nothing it, it's not like a, a, it, it's a thought so it's, it's a thought and a little bit of a sense something's wrong down there that's an extreme example yeah. but imagine you're eating a lot of foods that inflame the gut or imagine you're just eating simple mm. sugars and so what's growing are not these quote-unquote good bugs that fight inflammation but what are growing are bugs that love sugar. They love processed foods, or mm. they've been destroyed by lots of processed foods. With all these things in the food that we eat, from the food dyes to um, the, the emulsifiers to um, food modifiers that just, you know, they're not, they're not really good for the population of our gut. So I hope that helps people see this connection because it is, it is kind of a stretch. I think, well, how does how I feel relate to the fact that I want to, <laughs> you know, I don't know, eat pasta tonight. And, and I think you want to um, think like an engineer. First, you're building a human brain. You're going to use like quality ingredients or are you going to use like the cheapest thing you can find? You're going to use quality ingredients, right? There's your, there's like yeah. your house. Well, there's your brain. Um, and then how, how do you think about the brain as this like in perpetual motion, this really dynamic organism that you can help uh, be in a state of growth and learning and optimism. And there's a lot of levers you can pull to influence that. Food is certainly one of the, the major ones. Mm. Um, and then this way that we're talking of the way that food relates to gut health, to inflammation, and then how mm. inflammation relates to brain growth and, and, and brain state. Um, and so that, that I hope elucidates it. And, and I hope mostly doesn't intimidate people. Right? I'm not talking about like complicated dietary plans. The book has a six-week plan to nourish your mental health. Yeah. I'm not promising that you're going to be like seeing rainbows and just hugging yourself all the time in a state of perpetual happiness and love. Although I, I, I mean, I do hope for that, but I can't promise it. But I, I do think my experience personally, my experience with my patients uh, is that mm. when we are organized around our food, it's a fundamental act of self-care, of self-love, and of nourishment. And that radiates to all that we do. And not in some, I don't know, kind of hippy-dippy way that, that I think sometimes gets discounted. In actually the most yeah. fundamental way, if you're not nourishing yourself, I, I guarantee you aren't really bringing the best of yourself to the table in terms of nourishing your relationships, nourishing your work, nourishing other people in your life. It's kind mm. of like, um, it's like a craft that I really exactly. encourage people to hone. Like how much nourishing yeah. can you give the self? And then when you get topped off, how much nourishment and care can you give other people? Absolutely. And I, I think actually, I mean, I, my own background is in, in clinical nutrition and psychology. And so I've, I've heard a lot about the the vagus nerves, I've, I've, the vagus nerve rather, um, and I've seen a lot of diagrams and everything like that. But I think your description there um, was possibly one of the most excellent descriptions I've heard. In in that the way you were describing it, it really gave me a picture almost of of a tree. 
So, you know, the brain kind of being the top of that tree and and the nerve being the trunk and the kind of roots connecting into our our gut. And I think when when you put it like that, it it all of a sudden for for people who might not be familiar with this relationship, it makes total sense. It's like, oh, I mean, that makes sense. It's it's connected. It it, it influences um itself. And and I think that's something that I I want to get onto a, a little bit more into your book. Um, I just want to say thank you and, for that. And also it's probably influenced I I I blessed right now we live on our family farm, which is a uh, uh, we've got, I don't know, over 100 acres of forest and pasture land. And so I spent the morning before recording this uh, tootling around on my tractor and mowing. And, and then and then I got stuck and uh, and, and, had, and had to walk <laughs> up through the, the woods and the forest. And so thinking about trees and um, it's interesting when you look at the original sketches of neurons, brain cells, yeah. they look so much like a tree. Right, where they're they're kind of reaching out for so information much. and nourishment, and then they're transmitting, and so it it does very much influence how I see things. You've been listening to part one of our two part episode with Dr. Drew Ramsey on the BBC Good Food Health podcast. We had such an amazing conversation with Dr. Ramsey that we didn't want you to miss a second of it, so we've split it into two parts. Stay tuned for part two next week. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Health Podcast. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.